and say that trapping the wolves with a foothold trap is not humane. And they say that it, it injures the animals and it shouldn't be allowed. But the fact is that every wolf in the state of Michigan that was that was radio collared or 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 checked was caught with a foothold trap. Yes. Welcome to Wild Game Dynasty's podcast episode number 85. Yeah, folks, 85. Hey, we're looking outside today. It's a beautiful, beautiful spring day. And I know I I'm uploading this podcast just a little bit late, a few days late, but Hey, had to take some time out with my wife to head down to uh, Florida, and I was, uh, well, I was, I was given a gift to hunt on some private property uh, from a couple of good friends of mine, uh, my buddy Chad and his dad Mike. They're good friends of mine through my hunting channels. We'll say, uh, I say that they're friends of mine. They truly are. But this, uh, this outfitting and guiding business of mine has really opened up an opportunity to make some wonderful friends, and for that, I am very indebted to those of. Uh, those that I've made contact with, I really appreciate that. Hey, I was able to hunt. Took me six and a half hours, one day, not even a whole day, to uh, to bag an Osceola turkey. One of those rare moments that uh, very few hunters have an opportunity to do, and um, and that was me. Um, I did not have an opportunity until this came along. Chad reached out and said, "Hey, we're going to make this thing happen." Uh, Friends of the family own a pretty good size orange grove. And that's where it happened. So anyways, hey, without further ado, let's roll right into a podcast with a gentleman that I think you're going to really find interesting. He was extremely interesting because he's an outdoorsman, yeah. He's a conservationist, yeah. But Dale Hendershot, a consummate trapper, consummate hunter, consummate fisherman, um, we know, we've, we've said it before, and I think all of us understand uh, the person that uh, the outdoorsman, the conservationist that steps into the role as a trapper really understands the outdoors really well. Without further ado, let's roll right into podcast episode number 85. Dale Hendershot, this is Gary Morton calling. Hey Gary, Dale Hendershot here. Looking forward to talking about trapping in the outdoors with you this morning. I was hoping you'd say that. That's the purpose we're calling today and uh, course i really appreciate you uh agreeing to come on our podcast uh happy to do that always looking for a way to get the word out about what trappers and hunters do yeah uh, there's too many people that don't understand uh what we do and why we do it and how we do it boy that's for sure i know you and i talked a little bit before i pressed the proverbial record button but uh um you know we're on that same page, and I think our listeners are going to be on the same page with us. And this gives them an opportunity to kind of feel like they're running behind the scenes with you on this and getting a uh, uh, a backstage uh, view of what's going on uh, in the trapping world and what uh, what kind of things you're you're involved in. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh, uh... I'm 70 years old, and I've been trapping since I was in high school, and and uh, and doing outdoor stuff since high school, and um, it's it's a great life, and it's a uh, a great thing to do. Um, it's it also helps with with the the animals and controlling uh, populations and all of that kind of thing. Uh, that's one of the key things that trapping does, and. Um, it's always good to let people know about uh, things that we've done and things that we're doing and how it happens today. Yeah. It, it's important to get the word out so that people do things the right way. Yeah, absolutely. I think back, my dad shared his uh, trapping skills, and I'm sure he probably picked it up with his brothers on the fly. But um, trapping was different than it is today and I know you mentioned something to me earlier about today's trappers for somebody a young fella or maybe not so young that wants to get into trapping boy the opportunities are much different in a positive way oh they absolutely are when 
I started back in the 60s, uh, everybody looked at it as, as if somebody else learned how to trap, it was competition for them, and they didn't want competition. So trying to learn how to do things was the hardest part of, of what we do, and trapping's not easy. No. Um, but in today's world with the internet and the difference in perspective from, from trappers, um, it's much easier to do that. Uh, and today we have a, a program with, through the DNR of Trapper Education, and you can actually take a class. Um, there is a field day involved with it, but you can literally take the take the paperwork part of it and get that online with, without even going through a class. Wow. Uh, a lot of people have with the COVID and stuff in the last year. Uh, so the information's out there, and it's pretty easy to get. Wow, that's outstanding. So the opportunities for those that even uh, remotely think that they might want to get involved, they could easily, in the comfort of their own home, take this class and kind of explore it, we'll say, and see if it is something they may want to get involved in. You can. You can. The, the, the Trap Red book um, it is online at the DNR uh, website for, for hunter education. Um, you can go download it. I'm going to warn you, if you download it and print it, um, it is probably at least two times, two and a half times as thick as a hunter education book. Oh, my. Um, the differences in the program is the hunter education program is basically based on safety. It's not a how-to uh, program. Uh, there is some how-to that's discussed in the, in, in, in the course of that program, but the, the emphasis for the Hunter Ed program is on safety. When when we went to start the Trap Red program, and I was in the original group that, that started this um, probably about 10 years ago, um, we wanted people to walk away with enough knowledge that they could go out and successfully trap an animal. And when you look at trapping, it's a lot different. Um, let's talk about hunting for just a second. If I rifle hunt, if I see a white-tailed deer at 200 yards, depending on my, my firearm I'm using, I don't have a problem taking that deer. If I'm up we're all hunting in the woods with a 22, and I see a squirrel at at 40 yards. I stand a really good chance, depending on my ability to shoot the firearm, of, mm -hmm. of being able to hunt with that. So then, if you notch that up a little bit and you get into bow hunting, and all of a sudden your 200 yards is down to 20 yards. Yeah, and you might stretch it a little bit. Um, you know, uh, I've taken a few hunts and done a lot of archery hunting in my day, and I took a trip to Newfoundland, and I brought a bow and a gun. Um, because of the circumstances there, I ended up using the gun, but I was practicing with that bow out to 45 yards. Now, I would never shoot a, a, a big animal at 45 yards, but my mental deal was that if I could hit that target, at 45 yards then 20 yards would be a slam dunk yes you know it would be easy so if you want to ratchet that a little more to trapping with a foothold trap you're looking at figuring out how to have an animal put its foot on a round circle that's as small as an inch in diameter so that is a huge difference, <laughs> and, and it takes it, you know it takes some skill and it takes some practice, but we can you know through this trapper ed course we can give you some of that knowledge enough so that you can be successful in guiding that animal and having that animal step where you want it to. Well, you just put that into perspective, Dale. It just that's quite a word picture, I call it. Uh, trying to convince an animal in, uh, in their environment when they have, I mean, acres and acres and acres 
to convince him to to walk on top of that trap and strike that pan. You're uh, that's yeah that that takes some skill set. Well, when I'm teaching when I teach bow hunter classes, I always tell the bow hunters or the prospective bow hunters if if they haven't been bow hunting at all. Um, I always tell them that if they really want to learn how to figure animals out, that they need to try and take trapping up. Yeah, boy, that's for sure. With trapping, you have to get close. Yeah. And you're dealing with some of the animals that isn't a big deal, but with others, it it certainly is. Yeah. So you need to learn how to control scent. You need to learn... Uh, the habits of the animal, which is probably the most important part, is learning how the what the animals do, why they go where they go, and, and what they're doing when they do when they do that. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, I I remember Dale. We had some uh, some bull hunters, and we're hunting that first part of the November that rut season in the UP and. And, uh, and they were pretty up for a, a, a quite a walk. And I told them, that, you know, that some of our pretty good spots are about a mile walk, and they're all good for that. And one guy said, do you, do you trap, Gary? And I said, yeah, a little bit. You know, I said, I, I really have a hard time finding time, man. Why is that? Well, after I get back from this, you know, I, then I'm going to have to go out and set my traps. He said, I, I don't see it that way. And I looked at him. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're out here already. You're walking from A to B, and you walk me a mile. He said, between where we parked and where I'm hunting, you've walked by trapping opportunities in abundance. And I looked at him, and I thought, yeah, you know, you're right. I thought, man, why, did, why didn't I think of that, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I was kind of focused. And uh, like you said, you, you hit the nail on the head. Once I started putting those traps out there, and of course I've trapped on and off like you since I was in school, and I'm almost 60. Um, boy, it just the, the knowledge that I picked up or the mindset that I picked up putting those traps out there from going from A to B really bolstered my mindset on the hunting scene. It helped. Yeah. Well, and I do the same thing. If 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 hunting and trapping season are open together at the same time, then um, I will I will go set traps on my way in and out hunting and and, and that because you cover what you do you cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're in some some huge areas. Um, but even in, in even in uh, forty acres in your backyard. I mean, if you've got 40 acres and you're deer hunting out of a tree stand, um, I'll bet you money that you're going to walk past places that are going to hold raccoon and yeah. fox and, and and maybe even coyotes. You bet. Boy, amen to that. And then, uh, you know, the, I shouldn't say the, the real reason that people trap, but the, the bonus or one of the reasons people trap is uh, – you know, to keep that habitat in balance. I mean, we're we're at the top of the food chain, being us human beings. Uh, God has entrusted us to uh, do our best and not just to let it run its own course. And, you know, we're managing this and managing that. It sure makes sense to uh, manage our uh, some of our best assets as our natural resource, and why not continue to manage it? That's true, and and trapping really is is a management tool for fur bearers. Trapping is the most effective way to control the fur bearer populations. Um, and if you look at, at the, the, for instance, I I do some some upland bird hunting, uh, mostly grouse and woodcock around me, but I've done pheasant hunting and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the others. And the same with waterfowl hunting. You know, a lot of these fur-bearing animals are robin, ground-laying birds' nests yes. all the time. 
Yeah. So if you try and control some of the raccoons and the skunks and the possums and and uh, um, some of the fox and 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 if you get away from that a little bit and look at some of the the larger animals, uh, the 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 the, the coyotes. Yeah. Uh, you know, controlling those animal populations um, is is a key advantage to trapping. You bet. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It. You know, it's 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 like this. It's hard to come up with exact numbers because there are so many times that even fur is is sold. Um. Uh, multiple times so in other words I might sell it to a buyer and then that buyer resells it mm-hmm. so trying to figure out how much for actually is is harvested um, is is a difficult thing except for some of the species that are restricted and you have to register the, the hides mm-hmm. okay like bobcat otter um, uh, things like that yeah. So Fisher Martin. Yep. Anyway, um, but if you if you have the opportunity, and with COVID being gone, I would say that by next next summer or next next winter, hopefully we will be um, back to the non-COVID practices that we had at least to a point. Um, I would strongly suggest that somebody go look. At um, at a fur sale. Hmm. Now I belong to Michigan Trapper and Predator Callers. Um, I belong to Northern Great Lakes Fur Harvesters. Um, and Michigan Trapper and Predator Callers Association holds fur sales. Yes, I've seen that before. Typically, at least three. And unless you go and see how many raccoons. And how many muskrats and how many fox and how many coyotes are actually taken and those hides sold, you won't, you don't have any idea how many are really taken off the landscape. Yes. And if all of those animals were left, they would be diseased and dying a horrible death. You bet. Absolutely. Well, you know, we drive down the road and we see roadkill. That's a part of what happens and, you know, until we stop driving a car and I don't see that happen anytime soon. And even after that, you know, there's other casualties that happen. But uh, I've heard people remark, boy, oh boy, there seems to be a lot of uh, raccoons on the road that were hit. hit. And, uh, and and I don't want to finger point because, uh, the you know, we point a finger, there's... Uh, Three of, three of them pointing back at me, you know. But I would hope, I guess, that people understand the importance of trapping. If nothing else, when they when they see that, make a, maybe make a mental note of it themselves, or you know, they're talking. They talk to somebody and say, "Boy, there seems to be a lot of raccoon or a skunk that are getting hit on the road a lot." Those are great opportunities for the trapping, the modern trapper. We say. To do just what you said, and that's, uh, you know, change the numbers so we don't see the waste and the casualties like that, that that the fur harvest, that uh, and, and not just the fur harvest, a lot of those animals, or most of those animals, are great table fare as well. Yeah, absolutely. I have people ask me for, for muskrat and beaver carcasses all the time. You bet. Um, there are a lot of people who eat raccoon. Um, so, I mean, a lot of these animals um, uh, can and are eaten. I used to go for a, a, a 10-day trapping, trapping trip up to the UP every year. And in the beginning, my wife was sending me a whole bunch of food. And by the end, she wasn't sending any hardly any food at all. Because <laughs> pretty... I thought than enough critters to keep me fed <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely hey that and that's uh that's organic as a person can get right there just about it, it is yeah. it is so 
So a lot of these animals are utilized uh, for food and, uh, um, you know, and, and that's a big part of it. You know, one thing I would like to mention while we're talking about trapping, though, and, and hunting is that there's a huge difference in, in, uh, in, in, in the required commitment of trappers versus hunters, and I do, I do it all. But, you know, if I'm a deer hunter and the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour and the snow's going sideways and uh, I can decide that I'm not going to see much move if I want and, and, and stay, stay at home in the warmth. Yeah. But if I set traps out, I'm required to go check those traps if they're going to hold animals alive. You bet. So it doesn't matter how bad it is. You've got to go. Yes. You know, um, in all my years of trapping, I've only had one instance where I couldn't do it, and that's because there was five feet of water in a, in a body that had, had had the water raised five feet, and I would have had to get scuba gear to go check. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen scuba gear on the uh, fur traders. Uh, uh, websites for sale yet <laughs> oh man no you're, you're not going to and, no. and, and, and I'm friends with a lot of the CEOs and, yeah. and it, actually that was the end of the season and I told the guys I says I can't go get that yeah. and they said we understand don't worry about it um, so the DNR is pretty understanding because yeah. that was right at the end of the season and, yeah. and I was actually supposed to go pull those traps and it was about uh, about four days after the season closed when I finally was able to go get them. Well, you just, uh, you just, uh, outlined obviously, uh, the, uh, the, the dedication and commitment that the average trapper has, uh, to, to the, uh, to the environment, to the critters, to themselves, to the law and to all of us, because all of us, uh, enjoy and appreciate the, uh, um, you know, what's out there. So I, I would look at a, I'd almost look at a trapper as, one of our finest forms of a conservationist we can find. Well, we are, and we got lots of calls. Uh, I've have, for instance, um, when I first moved up and retired up around Gladwin, I got a phone call from the DNR about a guy who had a beaver problem, and the guy had forty acres that he had um, bought to go deer hunting. And there's a beautiful pond on there, and there's two beaver houses. Mm. And I went and got those. I trapped the beaver. And in the spring when I was finishing up, I took and started counting trees that I figured that the beaver had taken in the last year. Wow. I stopped counting when I hit 120. Oh, my gosh. Boy, okay, uh, uh, and a lot of those were young aspen that was only two inches or three yeah. inches around, but a lot of them were older aspen that was a foot around. You're talking just in 40 acres? I'm talking just in 40 acres. Wow, I don't think the average person realizes that at all. Uh, you talk about the uh, the added environment that those trees could have provided the critters, but if we look at down the road what the uh, what the timber value could be. True, but it's not just the value of the timber and stuff, because that falls comes right over and falls into um, a lot of the roads and the culverts. And, oh man, yeah. Uh, in some of the states that have restricted trapping and stopped foothold trapping for animals, um, um, and, and and restricted stuff to a point where you can't do it anymore. Um, those states end up with huge bills. Yeah. They're paying people to go out and trap just like what they made illegal that people used to do for free. Wow. And, and uh, if you stop and ask any road commission, <laughs> something that's in a fairly a rural area. Yep. Oh, that's with funny. a lot of animals um, about damage, they're going to tell you that, that probably beaver is one of the biggest ones that they have complaints and problems on. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, and I, I actually get more phone calls about fever than I do about coyotes. Wow. Yeah, something. Jeez. You know, you mentioned a couple of things in this uh, in this conversation here recently that, and it reminds me of a situation. I was in the UP and uh, and I come upon a culvert where the uh, the beaver had had it dammed in the in the log jams inside the culvert. And here's this guy uh, setting some traps. I thought I'd stop and say hi. And pretty soon, a couple of Road, com- road commission guys pulled up and they said, oh, you're the trapper. I said, no, here's your trapper right there. And I point and he's over, he's got his hip boots on. Pretty soon though, here comes the DNR, a CO pull up. Actually, there was two of them inside the truck and uh, and they get out. Oh, you're the, you're so-and-so. And I said, no, he's down there, you know. Oh, okay. I said, what's going on? And and so the one guy went down to introduce himself to the uh, to the trapper. I think they knew each other, but the one guy I had the opportunity to uh, chat with, I said, you trap? I said to him, and he says, no, you know, we learned it, though, in the academy. And I, I thought, oh, they teach that in the academy? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, they, they have some people that are very good trappers, and we have a, a, a component, a trapping component as a part of what we do because not all conservation officers are going to do it all. But uh, I thought when we're chatting, I thought, I bet you that's something that your association or you or yourself might be involved in. Yeah, we we do. The DNR has a trapper ed program that is a week-long component for their COs because most of their COs don't have a clue about trapping. Most of them have never dealt with it at all. Right. And the rules are very technical when it comes to trapping. So um, knowing the terminology and knowing how it all works is really important to a CO. You bet. Uh, so usually after they run an academy, uh, the next year they will take and run a trapper education program. And I've been lucky enough to be invited um, to, to help for a day with this week-long program. And uh, I can say that these COs really get a taste of it. They actually get out to, to, to trap. They they have to do preparation on the traps. They have to set the traps. And then they have to handle the fur when it's all done. And they've got seasoned trappers that are COs mm-hmm. um, to guide them through this whole thing so they have a much better understanding of what trapping is and what's involved in it and how much work it actually is. That's awesome. Wow. So that's a, uh, you know, that for the average person that might think, you know, we have 83 counties, so we have a very limited amount of conservation officers. And once a, uh, a guy or a gal enlists in that career path, they may or may not have been consummate trappers or a or a fisher person, you know, an angler, we'll say, or a hunter. Um, but there's a real good chance that uh, they have a taste of all the above. And thankfully, through um, efforts of the Trappers Association and you all, this gives them, an, gives them an opportunity to see it firsthand. It's amazing to see the lights in these CO's eyes. I'm sure a lot of them went in there and say, oh, what is this thing I've got to go through? <laughs> um, but, you know, when they get into it and they see what all is involved and they see how dedicated the trappers are to doing what they do and and the benefit it is to the ecosystem because they, they literally see how many raccoons they pull off of this property every year. Yeah. And, you know, they now they they didn't do one last year, but they've done one for the last uh, three or four years. Wow! Um, and they still get just as much fur as they used to. <laughs> I think that's something. Uh, yeah. You know, the the makeup might be a little bit different, or it might be the same. Um, but but they get just as much fur, pretty much one year to the other. Yeah. Uh, fur is a renewable resource. Um. And if you trap, uh, if you trap the animals, there is enough seed left that it will 
they'll replenish themselves and there'll be more for next year. Yes. You know, even in some small areas, if you hit it really hard and uh, there's not, it's not hit around, uh, there will be animals that will just move right in from, from surrounding areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember when my parents lived up in Aranac County, there was a uh, gentleman that had quite a chunk of property and a couple of us wanted to, I had a buddy of mine that had some hounds and he wanted to, he looked for any opportunity to run uh, raccoons, even coyotes. And I knew this other gentleman that owned quite a bit of property. I was fortunate to have hunted a little piece of it, a little sliver of his property. And every time I'd sit in that bow stand, oh my goodness, you know, you'd see the raccoons and then the coyotes, you know, at in the evenings, even in the morning, they would howl and so I thought, well, this is a slam dunk. This guy's going to let us hunt the hunt the raccoons and the uh, and the coyotes. Well, to my surprise, he did not let us there. He said, "No, we're fine." And I just kind of explained it. And I was kind of of the thing: if I argue this too much, he he won't let me bow hunt there anymore. So I just need to keep my mouth shut. Well, about three or four years later, he called me up, and of course, by then. It was my first year in college, and I didn't have a lot of time. And and I said, what's the problem? And I said, I, I think my buddy still does that. Well, I kind of like you there, too. I said, why the change? He said, well, he says, I, I really enjoy running my, uh, I got a couple of uh, Britneys, and we were flushing uh, partridge. And it and he says, I, I'm seeing more raccoons. And he says, I had a uh, porcupine and and then he says i had a skunk and he says i don't know what the heck's going on but he says i what happened was one of my dogs got loose and uh got attacked by a coyote and he says is we're out there just kind of monkeying around and i think it was during breeding season so and he says just unbelievable the amount of uh you know varmints out there and i just kind of you know i i I didn't brush him off. I passed him off to the, my buddy, and my buddy says, my goodness, he's got a lot of critters there. We've been doing a, you know, just a bang-up job uh, trimming back some of those furs. And and now the, the those two guys are, are friends to this day, and he lets him come in there and, and uh, do his thing during coyote season. But it's, it's made, made the deer hunting so much better in that little spot. I'm sure it did. And, and uh, one of the things I found as a trapper is that a lot of times if, if, if I go in and help somebody out and, and take some of the fur off of their, their property that's affecting, affecting their property, that they'll actually give me permission to do some hunting out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that one place that I talked about, um, he doesn't do a lot of bow hunting. Mm. And I am more than welcome to go out in October and and bow hunt on his property. And um, I'm more than welcome to go back in December when gun season's over and, and bow hunt on his property. And, you know, so it does open up some doors. Yeah. Um, to some private property, uh, even if you live like I do, where there's just thousands of acres of, uh, of, of, uh, state and federal land. Yeah. Um, you know, it's still, it opens up some of that private land and sometimes that private ground is a little bit better than some of the state ground. You bet. Absolutely. I think that ends up being a great, uh, uh, relationship building, uh, opportunities when the, when the trapper can show what, what their skill set can do for a property owner to enhance their, their deer population, and like you say, it might even open up that door for a hunting opportunity. So, absolutely, it does. And 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 even if it doesn't open up that opportunity, um, the one thing it does is it lets people know that trappers are 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 more than willing to be good conservationists, yeah. and they're looking to be able to help control the the animal populations that need to be controlled. Yeah. 
do it at a time when um, you can actually utilize those pelts and they don't go to waste. Yes, indeed. You can get permits. Um, if you have a problem, you can get permits to take animals out of season. Mm-hmm. But if you take them out of season, the pelts are ba- basically worthless. Right. Uh, so it basically is is a waste. Yeah. Um, so, you know, by doing that, um, the trappers can really help individuals, and uh, and it, it gives the, the, the trapper um, an access to more fur. Yes, absolutely. I remember reading an article, and I think it was in Fur Fish Game, but I, I can't say for sure, but it talked about a trapping opportunity in Minnesota, and it talked about trapping the wolf to control the, the wolf population back in the day a little bit. And, of course, we know that's come uh, come back to uh, a surface ahead, we'll say, right now here in Michigan. But it mentioned a statistic that really kind of floored me. But as I thought about it, it I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. It said the successful harvest of the highly intelligent wolf is at, 80% of the wolves taken or harvested in Minnesota during that that one uh, season could be attributed to the trapper, not the hunter. And it, and it was saying that it wasn't that the, the hunters didn't participate. They, they participate. It's just very difficult to hunt a highly intelligent animal such as a wolf by, by means of hunting, we'll say. And that trapping was much more effective, much safer, and in many cases, the humaneness was at or better. Um, but that really, you know, that statistic really kind of kind of opened up my eyes. I thought, wow, 80% of the harvest was probably attributed to trappers. Well, that's true. And to the best of my knowledge, there isn't a state out there that's had a, uh, a wolf season that that hasn't been the case. I I am not personally aware of any state that has met its goal using hunting alone. Right. Uh, that just hasn't happened. Now a lot of people complain and say that 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 trapping the wolves with a foothold trap is not humane. It, they say that it it injures the animals and and that uh, you know. Uh, it shouldn't be allowed. But the fact is that every wolf in the state of Michigan that was that was radio collared or 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 checked um, was caught with a foothold trap. Yes. Every single one of them was caught with a foothold trap using the same basic processes the same processes that a a regular trapper would use and the outcome was different they were collared or something else mm-hmm. or, or checked in in for health reasons um and then released yeah and released unharmed a lot of times they would try and catch one that was already collared so that they could keep track of how well that animal did. Yes. And what kind of condition that animal was in. And if it was a female, if it had pups. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and try and look at different aspects of the wolf. And, and trapping actually was a big part of the recovery of the wolves. Um, and, you know, it, it, they just, it's, a little controversial, but they just let some wolves go up, 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 uh, uh, up in Lake Superior. Um, yeah. And you know those wolves were trapped. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were trapped with foothold traps and and put into cages, sedated, put into cages, and then released um, to thrive. Right. So you know. The fact that, that what they say it's inhumane and 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 that um, 
It really isn't. No. It really isn't. One of the key things to to being humane is using the right trap for the right job. You betcha. Amen to that, bud. And, and that's some place where people can make mistakes, and it's yeah. one of the reasons that the trappers asked for the Trapper Ed program because they didn't want people making those mistakes. That's exactly it. Boy, that's so uh-huh. true. You look at the resources that the Trappers Associations, whether that be this Trapper Association or that, whatever, or the collection, what resources, what efforts are made to educate people? I mean, there's a lot of efforts, whether it be just man hours or uh, the proverbial trapper putting their money where their mouth is, a portion of their take comes right back into continued education. Trappers are a big part of of the instructors that teach the trapper ed program. Yes, yeah. and you know one of the and this is not anything like hunter education, but one of the requirements to be a trapper education instructor is that you actually have gone out and run a trap line. Now we don't require them all have gone out and said. 200 traps on a trap line and run a, a, a big trap line. But they all have to have actually gone through the process of running a trap line and, and trapping in order to, to, to become instructors because they actually have to teach somebody how to do it. You bet. You know, um, so you, the instructors... Uh, a lot of the associations, uh, there's 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 uh, three basic associations here in Michigan now. There's UP Trappers, Northern Great Lakes, and Michigan Trapper and Pirate Callers. All three of them have financially supported the Trapper Ed program. So, you know, uh, yes. there also were a lot of independent trappers that, that were and still are involved with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a huge thing, and and one of the key things is that you do use the right trap for the right animal. You certainly wouldn't want to use a wolf trap for a muskrat. No, <laughs> that's true. You know, speaking of that next topic, uh, of course, that's what I I caught you on the uh, NRC uh, agenda, as well as several other people, um, and I I presented too. I I. They gave me three minutes because I registered late, but uh, I listened to yourself as well as others and to, uh, I say lobby or advocate to the NRC the importance of the utilization of the trapping uh, community in looking at the, uh, the, hopeful, the, upcom- the hopefully the upcoming uh, wolf harvest uh, season here in Michigan. But you, and you weren't the only one. And, of course, I reached out to a couple of COs, and you know, one guy says, I've never trapped in my life, but I'm telling you that the most effective way we could uh, we could keep track of and keep the numbers in line in our wolf population is the use of trapping. Yeah, it, it, very definitely. And, and right now there's a lot of controversy at the NRC um, Obviously, the Humane Society of the United States and the animal rights groups do not want us to be able to trap or hunt wolves, but in particular trap, um, they don't feel that that's a necessary thing to happen. And, um, you know, it would be great if uh, people went and if you Google uh, Natural Resource Commission meeting and you go down to the calendar, for April, it will give you some links, and any sportsman um, or anybody that wants to can take and and go click on those links and register to to uh, virtually attend the meeting and listen to what's going on, and also to apply for time to speak to give their opinion. You bet. That's a perfect democracy, uh, right? I say perfect. Uh, Certainly a, a wonderful democracy in action right there. Well, it is. And, you know, typically sportsmen haven't been really, particularly trappers, haven't been real quick to, to get involved in that, that, that area of this. And, 
And the truth is that, that that's been the trapper's mistake all along. We need to be there. We need to talk. And that's one of the reasons that I and several other people were there to, yeah. to speak on behalf of, 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 of the trappers and the sportsmen. You bet. Um, Absolutely. So if you don't speak, then you, you stand a chance of, of losing something that you could have or having something taken away that you already do have. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you can't expect um, the Department of Natural Resources to understand what's on your mind if you're not going to share it with them. That's right. You, yeah. you do need to, and it's really important that, that everybody does. Yeah. Um, if you look at some of the states that have gone gone south with this kind of thing, um, in the in in the state of Colorado right now, the only trapping that is permitted is cage traps. Oh boy! So in a state that in the in the Rocky Mountains that was settled and and opened up by people who harvested for, you are not allowed to set a foothold trap or a body gripping trap. Wow, unbelievable! Um, and the the Humane Society of the United States and others have been proposing now that they even take away the ability to use a cage trap. Yeah. So, you know, um, if, if the sportsmen aren't active and the sportsmen aren't, uh, paying attention, you know, it's going to go that way. And, uh, and, and it's going to get harder and harder to do the things that we do. You bet. Dale, I really appreciate you uh, offering the opportunity and taking time out of your busy schedule and sharing these uh, these some of our hot topics, some of our uh, you know life skills things, but uh, sharing your opportunities that you were afforded all your life, sharing that with the rest of us, and certainly our listeners going to appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. I have, and uh, what we've just talked about, I think I really think will inspire some people to take some action, whether it be, you know, pick up uh, their computer and log on to maybe some uh, educational material to see if trapping might be in their future. Even if it's not, maybe advocate the, uh, uh, the trappers as, a, uh, as our, some of our truest conservationists and, uh, and move forward and, and become educated, becoming in the know and uh, understand trappers are, are uh, some of our you know, again, our truest conservationists. Yeah, and and you know, one more thing about that. Um, if somebody is, uh, there are people that just don't like to get up and speak. And you know, if there's somebody out there that that feels like they really would like to to let people know how they feel, but they don't feel comfortable doing that. There's also a link on that same page where you can send your comments written yeah. to the NRC, and the NRC will view and read those. And I can tell you for a fact, the people on the NRC are good people. They may not always do what everybody wants, but they do have the sportsmen in mind. You bet. Um, with some of the controversies we have as sportsmen, sometimes we're our own worst enemies in in arguing about things. But yeah. but the bottom line is that they are here for us. It may not seem that way all the time, but you know, there's good people there, you and bet. they do their best to to do the best for what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, feel free to to. That's another avenue that you have if you not comfortable speaking yeah put it in paper and uh, attach a uh, document and uh, send that presentation off like you said uh, those arguments or those uh, you know maybe someone has a little angst about something that's not going to get resolved by spouting off to their buddy or sitting at a coffee clutch and and, uh, beating up the DNR or something like that those things are best served and best resolved in the proper channels and reach out to the NRC like you just said um, they got a lot on their plate but they're uh, they're they have the ability to handle it and they're going to take care of uh, some issues in the uh, manner in which they're uh, um, looking at it and if they don't know that it's existing 
we've got no one to blame but ourselves for not sharing that. That's very true. And, you know, if you don't get involved, you stand to lose what you do. Yes, indeed. Well, Dale, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we have uh, some wonderful opportunities out in the woods, out in the field, out, out of doors right ahead of us. Uh, um, gee whiz, we got some trapping time, of course, as you know, for for those, uh, some of the best uh, beaver trappings right ahead of us. And then right after that, it's morel mushroom season. Trout season opens up on the streams. Um, turkey season, I mean, it's it, we're, we live in a uh, wonderful uh, op- uh, land of opportunities right here in the state of Michigan. We certainly do. You take care. You take care, and it's been good talking with you. You as well. Thanks, Dale. Yep. Bye-bye. This week's podcast brought to you by Michigan Brand. Michigan Brand is a third-generation, family-owned and operated business out of mid-Michigan. We are known for our world-famous hams, jerky, and various sausage products. You can find us all over the state of Michigan, as well as other states throughout the U.S. Check us out at michiganbrand.net. That's michiganbrand.net to learn more. And also brought to you by... Custom-made turkey calls by Wild Game Dynasty's Crooked Creek. These calls can be found at many of your fine sporting goods retailers like the Atlanta Hardware in Atlanta, Michigan, or Beckley's M65 Bait Store and Sporting Goods at the corner of M65 and M55, just to name a few. Don't go in the woods to hunt your turkeys without our custom-made turkey calls. Hey, told you so, folks. Great podcast. Dale, he kind of spells it out. Um, yeah, he's he's a mature fella, and then he's uh, been around quite a while and still humping it hard out in the outdoors. Um, and maybe he alluded to it as well as his pace might be uh, slowed down like all of us over time, but his, uh, his knowledge in the outdoors is immense. And the neat thing about it is, is he's so willing to share his time through his his channels we'll say whether it be uh, hunters education instruction uh, even instruction on on the trapping component in the uh, DNR conservation officers uh, training module I think that's awesome hey hope you had a great uh, uh, spring break or you're in the midst of it until next time you take care